This is the Church Planning Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Every week we sit down with leaders who are shaping church planning efforts. Here's your host, Josh Taransky and Clint Clifton. Hey, welcome to the Church Planting Podcast. My name is Josh Taransky, and I am joined by Clint Clifton. Clint. I'm here, Josh. Hey, what's up? Man, it's good to hear your voice, and I am excited to talk about church planting again. I am too. Yeah. Before we introduce uh, this week's guest, which this is a great interview, great author, um, what's the latest, man? I mean, here we are. We're still in, like, we're, what are we, six months into COVID-19? Yeah, uh, we're going to be saying that, um, you know, forever, forever. <laughs> yeah, we, we could just stop now because it's just going to always be. We're more. measuring our life. We're measuring our life off of uh, COVID. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're good. Yeah. There's there's a lot going on in the in the church planning world. People are trying to figure out now how to plant churches in the midst of this instead of, you know, just waiting till it finishes. No, Nobody's really doing that anymore. Everybody Smart. was on the path of when this is over, we're going to plant a church. Now it's um, this is never going to end. Let's just plant churches anyway. Yeah. And we're probably we're starting to see that early trickle of guys that are actually launching yeah, yeah. their churches. They're like, here we are. Oh man, I wouldn't want to be that yeah. doing that. But yeah, it's a, a amazing place where we're at. Well, um, let's talk a little bit about Dave Harvey because you got a chance to sit down with Dave, and um, we've actually got some. We got a back to back here. We're going to talk uh, first part of the interview this week, and then a little bit next week. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about Dave Harvey. Well, um, Dave Harvey's been in the church planting um, world for a long time in evangelical church planting. Um, he uh, started off at Sovereign Grace and um, and uh, has been since at Sojourn, um, led the Sojourn Network, which you might be familiar, out of Sojourn Church yeah. in Louisville. And then uh, most recently, he's leading the Great Commission Collective, which is a newly established network. About 140 churches came together, and they were most of them were um, kind of refugees from the uh, the Harvest Bible Chapel fallout that happened okay. um, a year, a few years ago. And so these guys came together and formed a network, and Dave's leading that network. And so really excited about the things they're doing there. Um, they uh, I was on the phone with them yesterday, and have been connected with them some they're they're doing really really good things and um, I'm excited about what we'll see coming out of that network in terms of multiplication and uh, new approaches uh, in the next few years good so um, Dave's written at least one book I know I have it I was saying before we started recording I haven't read it yet but rescuing ambition yeah. even just the title and that yeah. subtitle uh, got me to buy the book yeah because I was like man this is what I need somebody to speak into my life about right um, uh, what else? Uh, what else has he written, and where did we go with this first episode, this first part of the interview? Yeah, Dave. Uh, well, so this book, this uh, book came out a few years ago, um, but actually, I think he says in the interview nine years ago or something. So it's it's At kind least, of an older yeah. older book. But um, 
I've always been intrigued by the title as well, because I don't know about you, Josh, but as a person who pursues gospel ministry, loves Jesus, you know, wants uh, to see the kingdom of God grow in advance. And I think I have, you know, at least partially pure hearted uh, motives for that. I really do want to see Jesus made known all over the world. And, um, and uh, at times that comes in conflict with also the other thing that's true about me that I'm ambitious and I have, uh, you know, sort of, uh, drive and desire. I wake up in the morning with drive and desire to do new things, sometimes new things for the kingdom, sometimes new things to advance my own causes. Uh, but I don't really know what bucket that, that ambition goes in. You know, I, mm. I have stuck in my head that ambition's a bad thing. Um, and that it's only going to lead me to ruin. Um, uh, but uh, Dave's, uh, the title of Dave's book gives me an indication that maybe there's something redemptive about ambition. And yeah. that's why I was intrigued by it. And then um, after becoming familiar with the book, I got to know Dave. And man, he is just an extremely godly, uh, gentle, uh, theologically rich man. He he's uh, He's one of those guys that every time I talk with him, I think about the conversation for a few mm. days or a few weeks afterwards. I mean, the, he always says things that are sort of resonating in my mind and rolling around in my head. He's also one of those guys that's just saturated with the scripture. When you talk to him, he's just got like Bible falling out of his mouth every time he opens it. And wow. I just, I just love that about him. And I learn from him every time I'm around him. And um, so for him to t- tackle a, a subject like ambition really intrigued me. And I, we, he and I have been talking for a little while about getting on the podcast to talk about this in front of other people. Mm. And so we were able to do that. And so this, this two part thing, we're going to start uh, first by talking about the concepts from the book, Res- rescuing ambition, which I think are going to be helpful for us. But then we're going to go on to talking about uh, in the second week, we're going to talk about how our, our ministry to our congregation intersects with our ministry to the church at large. You know, mm. how, how is it that we should be involved in, for lack of a better term, platforming ourselves so that we can help people in other places that we're sort of separated from and we're not going to be pastors of, you know, how should we prioritize our time to help people at large as opposed to those in our own congregation? And Mm -hmm. so I think I know a lot of pastors struggle with that. And so I wanted to talk about that as well. So I'm excited about these two episodes. Man, that's excellent. That's great. Well, uh, let's hear a word from our sponsor. And then we'll go right into your conversation with Dave Harvey. That's good. Hey, Clint, do you know what causes people to find a podcast in the store when they do a search? No. It's the reviews. If people give reviews and stars, that is, that's one of the most important things. So what you're saying is there could be some person in Arizona who is feeling God calling them to plant a church. Yeah. And they go to iTunes thinking, I wonder if there's a church planting podcast. And That's they what type I would in do. Church planting podcast, which is in fact the name of our podcast. Yes. And our podcast doesn't show up first because there aren't enough reviews. It's sad. That's it's sad. really sad. I mean, to think about that, they're probably going to get some some other podcast, yeah. inferior podcast. And this is free. It's free. This is free. It's totally free. All they can you just go in and. Help us out. Leave Help a review. Yeah. Thanks. Even if you write down about how you don't like us, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, we have uh, terrible radio faces. <laughs> Dave Harvey, welcome to the Church Planting Podcast. Thank you, Clint. It's great to be talking to you again. 
Well, um, I've just uh, finished reading your book, Rescuing Ambition, which I know is not a new book. <laughs> you wrote that. When did you write Rescuing Ambition? I think it was about nine, nine years ago. So this is what, 2020. Yeah, it was probably 2011. Yeah, that show that show that's about the right lag on my my reading ambitions. You know, I have I have well, all these books that I want to read. You're in front of me, I think. <laughs> um, but the um, the the book was was super helpful, and the I tagged it years ago when I first saw it as something like I want to dig into this. I've even given it away at events. Like, man, this is this is a thing that I know is an important topic. I just haven't had a chance to dig into it myself. But I was I was super thankful for it because it explores this topic that I've been really interested in um, uh, about where my ambition um, intersects with my pursuit for godly living. You know, and um, you know, I think I think. I, I grew up thinking ambition is a pretty negative thing, but I noticed in myself that I had a lot of it. And um, so I appreciate the fact that you've put thought into this. What, what kind of prompted you or inspired you to start thinking along these lines? I think it was that, that I was, well, well, several things. I think it was the convergence of, of, of about two or three different factors. One was that uh, I had to sort through the issue of my own ambitions. And in sorting through it, I, I had to try to begin to divide between what it meant to have selfish ambition versus godly ambition. And that was a real head game for me. And I wasn't able to find any material that helped to guide me or prompt me or provide any tracks there. Yeah. Um, it's, and then secondly, I, I think I was beginning to see, particularly among some of the the younger guys, younger church planters, that there was a, a vision of humility that seemed to tamp down ambition. They seemed to mm. conflict with ambition. The application of humility seemed to militate against ambition. And I, I just began to think, man, if we, if we lose ambition, we lose church plants. We lose, you know, we lose entrepreneurs. We lose the, you know, civilizations become lazy. Yeah. Um, and so there's got to be a way to hold these things together. And, uh, and that began my, my research and my, my study and, and ultimately my writing. Yeah, man. So in the book, you, you differentiate between these two ideas. I, I picked up this language from the book, and you can tell me if, if, if I'm thinking, saying it right exactly. But the, uh, in the book, you say the instinct... Uh, for glory is a God-given instinct that resides in each of us. So the instinct for glory sort of language. Um, and then the scriptural uh, language of, uh, of selfish ambition, uh, which you say is a, a form of uh, ambition that spoils its goodness by removing God as the goal. I think that's how you kind of define it in the book. So can you help us know how to distinguish between those two things, selfish ambition and instinct for glory? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think we're, we're basically asking there, how, how do we really know the intentions of our heart? Yeah. And I, I think there are a few tests as a as a believer as a leader that we can apply um i, I think about the prayer the test of prayer and and you know it, saying that it, it almost seems obvious or perfunctory um 
but my point is that I think the more ambition moves towards the flesh or towards us, the less our hearts move towards God and uh, towards wanting to engage God. We, we tend to act, not pray. Uh, we tend to be, you know, Martha, not Mary. And, right. and you know, I think it's Psalm 139, search me, O God, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, see if there's any grievous way in me. So, so, so godly ambition has God as its goal. And, and so it moves us towards God. So prayer is, you know, there's nothing perfunctory about prayer when it comes to testing the difference between the two. I, I think another one, Clint, would be uh, counsel. We could call it the test of counsel. Um, I think uh-huh. I've noticed in my own life that, that when my ambitions move towards me or are seeking to elevate me, I, I don't want to open up my heart as much to scrutiny. I don't want to have my motivations right. questioned. And so when we're engaging, when our, our motivations move towards self-glory, we tend to cordon them off more. And, uh, and yet godly ambition, in contrast to that, kind of flourishes in community. Uh, godly counsel... Mm-hmm or godly ambition moves towards counsel and towards uh-huh. interdependence. And so those are, those are a couple of things that, that I think help me distinguish between selfish and godly ambition. You say in the book that our pursuits reveal what we prize. And you've also worked with a lot of church planners at several different, in several different tribes or church planning networks. Um, how you seen that principle that our pursuits reveal what we prize play out in the lives of church planners? Well, I think one of the most common pursuits that church planters have is the is is tucked within the pressure they feel to survive, mm-hmm. um, and, and so as a result of that, sometimes planters can elevate church growth as the exclusive metric for success. And, mm-hmm. and so as a result, you know, care is sacrificed, discipleship can be sacrificed, um, personal development and growth can be sacrificed. And, and what happens there, Clint, and you've, you've seen this yourself, it, 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 it creates an arc for the church that's, that's hard to change because the genetics of the church are, are forming in those first couple of years. Yeah. And so that, that growth as success metric becomes part of the DNA. Yeah. So I think that's, that's one of the ways it plays out for, uh, for, for church planters. M- maybe, maybe a way to flip it over and uh, on the positive side, I, I think if a church planter prizes godliness, if a church planter prizes health, he pursues plurality. He yeah. pursues you know, t- team ministry. He, he, he resists that impulse to move himself to the center of w- what you were mentioning earlier, that glory drive that, that we all have. Uh, he resists right. that impulse to move to the center, himself to the center of that glory drive, mm. and he pushes power out. He pushes he shares authority. He, he shares influence. Wow. He wants to elevate other people. And uh, for a lot of church planners, you know, they're just, they're just in such a frenetic pace 
or they're in this mentality, I just got to do it, I just got to get it done. And they're not really thinking about how, how the, the trajectory of the church is being created in that moment. And the values of the church are being launched in that moment. The history of the church is being started in that moment. And it's really important to start with, with plurality as, uh, as one of the pursuits. Yeah, you, that, you almost pose that as another test. You know, the, if, if we're in pursuit of plurality, plurality that's probably a good indicator uh, that our ambitions are, are placed properly. Um, yeah, that's yeah. that's a hundred percent true. It's it's harder to have selfish ambition and and be living in plurality and working in plurality. And that's really good. That's really helpful. Okay, so I'm thinking about you know, in this issue in my own heart when I'm when I'm wrestling through it, um, I have a desire to accomplish things, um, and I want to put it in the category of creation mandate. You know, I want to, I want to, the scripture tells me that God made me to multiply, subdue, cultivate. And, and in a sense, I, sometimes I wonder if I don't make that an excuse for my own vain pursuits. So how does the creation mandate interact with the issue of ambition? Yeah, I, I think that's, that's such an excellent question. Um, I, I think that the creation mandate is is kind of the the first warrant for ambition is the first spoken warrant uh from god for our <laughs> ambition it's uh you know because it's calling us to something uh and and you can't get there by by anything but having dreams desires aspirations ambitions obedience right and so it's kind of like the first prime directive we get and, uh, and I think what it's intended to do is to trigger that call to go and do things for the glory of God. Um, yeah. In fact, I think it supplies a general pathway to do that in the use of the words, you know, in Genesis of multiply, subdue, cr- cultivate, create. Um, yeah. I, you know, I mentioned earlier, I, I wrote Rescuing Ambition because I was encountering this vision of humility that seemed to militate against the instincts that are necessary to satisfy the cultural mandate or mm. to satisfy the great commission, which is yeah. godly ambition. And, and what it does is it, it, you know, ultimately if you play it out to its logical conclusion is that it creates a kind of Christian who is so modest, they aspire to nothing. All right. well, you know, look, you know, look at how humble he is. He's sitting on the couch there too and nothing for God's glory. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so there, there was a, you know, I was seeing an application of humility that kind of guts the, the organ of ambition. Yeah. But I think that when humility is, is rightly understood and rightly applied, it, it provides guardrails for, for, for godly ambition. It doesn't squash mm. it or, or eliminate it. Yeah, that's helpful. Let me let me read you two quotes that I read recently, and I'm just curious what you think about these quotes. This is an idea that I've kind of thought about, um, and and it's been validated in these two uh, books that I recently um, read. And the first quotes uh, from a book called "When Narcissism Comes to Church" by Chuck DeGroat, mm-hmm. and in the book he says. 
<clears throat> when I started doing psychological assessments for pastors and church planners, I saw that narcissistic traits were often presented as strengths. Narcissism can be interpreted as confidence, strong leadership, clear vision, a thick skin. A colleague of mine often says that ministry is a magnet for nar the narcissistic personality. Who else would want to speak on behalf of God every week? <laughs> So that's the first quote. Let me go ahead and read the second one too, because they're, they're kind of similar, but come at it from different angles. The, the second quote's from Tom Bernardo, who was a recent guest on the podcast. We talked, uh, talked about this issue when he was on, uh, but in his opening lines to his, his excellent book, The um, uh, Honest Guide to Church Planting, he says, this is in the, first in the first chapter, he says, if you've ever felt the inkling to plant a church, even just a passing thought, that it might be something you could do. Two things are almost certainly true of you. Number one, you are passionate about reaching lost people. And number two, you are arrogant. <laughs> and so <laughs> how did those, how did those strike you? Uh, you know, a part of me says, yes, I see that. I recognize that in church planners. I recognize that myself. But another part of me says, ah, in saying that we're kind of discouraging the very thing we need to see in church planters and in the church at large, sort of a bold ambition to go out there and do great things for God. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm at attention about it. And I don't know how I feel. About it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, so acknowledging the challenge of interacting with quotes that don't necessarily have the, you know, the context and all that. Um, right. But, but just kind of jumping into it, recognizing that we don't have that at the moment. Yeah. I, I, first I'd say, I'm not sure how well King David or the apostle Paul or Peter would have done on our assessments today. I, I, I think that the, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of things that might present as narcissism um, that has a, has a biblical category for the gift of leadership is a biblical gift. Um, yeah. Confidence yeah. in God is 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 a definition of, of faith. Um, you know, uh, thick skin uh, it can be another way to describe someone who who gets the gospel, and who yeah. for whom love covers over a multitude of 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 sins. So, I, to me, Clint, I I think some of it is that the church has has metrics for humility. Meaning we know about, we know what it is. We know what it looks like. We know what yeah. it smells like. We're more confident in, in asserting it, but we, we don't have a corresponding set of skills in assessing ambition. And so yeah. we, we assume all ambition is selfish. And when we see ambition, we, we instinctively react to it or we ascribe to it some, uh, you know, something that stigmatizes it in part because we have no, we have no vocabulary to talk about it. Um, yeah. But, but it, you know, I mean, one of the things, one of the things that really struck me was when I was studying about eldership and, and studying first Timothy three, it's, it's interesting to note that when Paul goes to address eldership in first Timothy three, his very starting point is on the level of aspiration. If yeah. anyone aspires to the office yeah. of overseer, he desires a noble gift. So right out of the gate, right. you know, the first evidence for assessment offered to us in scripture is his ambition, yeah. is his yeah. aspiration. And yeah. yet, 
and yet, I mean, you, you've seen this as well. You know, we immediately become suspicious when, when men yeah. express their aspirations. And so p- part of, you know, part of where I was with the book is I'm thinking, this is a self-defeating system. You know, we're going to end up yeah. camping down or <laughs> discouraging the very thing we need to accomplish the mission. And, and I just don't think it's, I don't think, Clint, that it's, it's circumspect enough. I, I mean, I mean the, books, the books that we cherish in history, the books that have shaped us, whether it, it's, it's mm-hmm. J.I. Packer or, or the Puritans, were, were written by people who said, you know, I, I, think, I think I have something to contribute here. I, I, I think the way that right. God has, has helped me think about this can be of help to other people. And, and we yeah. would never dream of challenging the importance of those things that have shaped us that way, but we don't turn and create a culture where, where Christian leaders can do the same thing without feeling, you know, guilty or having to deal with shame or having to work through, you know, issues of, of their motivation, which is probably a good thing to work through issues of motivation, but we don't necessarily get that by stigmatizing ambition we're undermining our future and Mm -hmm. undermining the very mission that we're we're called to and uh and that was part of my own you know part of my own challenge was just uh was that uh i was aware that i had strong desires to to use my gifts to their fullest um a strong desires to spend and and be spent. And I was also aware that there were times where I wanted Dave to be really big and I wanted Dave to be exalted and glorified. And, and so there was mixture there and I, I needed to have to work through that. I needed help to work through it, but, but there wasn't, there wasn't necessarily clarity. So I I think wherever uh, I'll I'll finish with this, wherever there's ambition, it's going to be polluted. Yeah. And so when a guy comes up to me on Sunday morning and says, you know, I think I might be called to preach the gospel. Man, I assume there was going to be selfish ambition there. <laughs> it, just doesn't, it just doesn't frighten me the same way that it used to when I was a lot younger and saw it in guys. Yeah. That is a, that's a great way to say it. I think polluted is, is there, there is a mixture of godly ambition and selfish ambition, I think, in most of those, um, most of those pursuits that we have. There certainly was in me, and you know that's yeah that's part of my story, and and having to work through that is is part of what resulted in the book. Right. Um, you've been in church planting for for most of your career, <clears throat> it seems like, uh, at least as I can tell, and um, you've worked in leadership of different networks and seen kind of different facets of the evangelical church planting world. Do you, do you think, you know, as you look at this issue right now, that church planters need to be more ambitious, they need to be less ambitious, or they just need a different type of ambition altogether? How would you, if you were to just kind of grossly categorize it and say what, what you notice right now? Well, if given those three choices, I'd say a different kind of, of ambition uh, or a different way of thinking about it. It's... Um, it's like it's like Lewis said, you know, our our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. Yeah. You know, we settle for making uh, mud pies in the slums uh, because we can't. What does he say? Imagine a 
uh, at the uh, beach, the yeah. Yeah, the offer, the offer of a holiday at the beach or the yeah. sea. And so I, I think church planters need to redirect their ambition towards a more biblical definition of, of success. Uh, you know, ambition for church planters, and I'm not entirely sure um, how this takes root and, and why it is permitted sometimes to flourish. Um, some of it is just the natural man. Uh, some of it is just cultural infiltration. But uh, ambition for church planters is often bound up in cultural success. Um, I want yeah. influence. I want a platform. I want, you know, a growing number of bodies. I want a growing number of dollars or a book or something like that. And uh, yeah, I was just I was just reading Clint this morning in my uh, you know in Luke and where where Jesus says what what is exalted in men is an abomination to God. And and yeah. I think part of what's exalted in men is this cultural definition of success, the wrong kind of success. You know, in scripture, character is success. Service is success. Faithfulness is success. But uh, when church planners get together, oftentimes uh, there's such a temptation to think that numbers are success income is success um so so i say all that to say that the issue is not ambition it's the object of our ambition and the direction of our ambition and the definition of success that our ambition is is moving toward Mm, man so I had this experience when I was a young church planter. Um, I'd been working in my community for a few years and I was struggling to gain traction and we were small. Our church was small and it seemed like nothing I was doing was making much of a difference at all. And another guy, a a like-minded guy, a guy who was in my denomination and I thought of as, you know, a godly man and, you know, having good doctrine and all of that stuff. uh, I couldn't find any fault in him, so to speak. Um, he came into my community and planted a church and immediately that church started taking off and it did really well. It grew numerically and they kind of had a worse meeting space and, you know, they were, they were literally just reaching the same neighborhood as us, like the same community, just a half a mile from us or something like that. And I was hurt and frustrated. Honestly, I was a little bit jealous um, of the progress that he was making. And one day in my time with the Lord, um, I was, I was, you know, contemplating this and thinking about this. And, uh, and as I was, uh, I confessed, you know, to the Lord, how I was feeling, uh, God, you know, I don't get it. Why is Chris, this guy's name is Chris. Why is Chris, uh, having success and why am I not having success? And at the moment, um, I had, I had the thought, and I'm not sure if it was really from the Lord or not that I realized I'd been asking God to, you know, do things in my community to save people, to grow his church, to see disciples raised up. And for the first time I was confronted with this thought, what if God's going to answer my prayers, but he's going to use Chris to do it instead of me, or he's going to use Chris's church instead of my church. And I wrestled with that a lot. And it caught, it was a crisis of belief for me. 
But ultimately, I came out of that saying, I'm not okay with that. I'm okay with God using Chris, but I'm not okay with God not using me. And it was, a, it was a place where I felt like there was a fork in the road in terms of ambition for myself. Like, I, I want to be, it's an, it, I, I determined it wasn't wrong for me to be a person who desired to be used by God. And, um, and um, so it, it, it wasn't wrong for, it, maybe it was some of my responses to what was going on in Chris's ministry were wrong. But my desire, my ambition to be used by God wasn't wrong. Do you do you think I was thinking about that right? Well, um, you know, first, what a great story, um, and you know, it, it, because it really gets to the some of the nuances of this, and uh, and what a fascinating way for you to think about that. You know, like, oh well, God's answering my prayer through this other man's ministry. Yeah. Um, so I, I think the problem, the problem is, is often how we evaluate fruit. And that was where it seemed like God delivered you in that, in this situation. Because, because what was happening is there was legitimate fruit that was, that was beginning to take place in your life. There was godliness. There was an eternal perspective, Mm -hmm. um, there was God moving you to see, uh, see life from a kingdom perspective. Uh, now, now you were tempted at the front end to see fruit more through numbers, more through oh, right. you know the measurables of attendance or decide, number of disciples. And but you know y- you learned something we we all have to learn, and that is that God God has His own program. On these things and his own way of of getting at the things that are going to produce godliness in us and and you know sometimes he does that by inspiring dreams that he doesn't satisfy Hmm. or he he delays in satisfying them or he satisfies them in ways that we can we never expected and one of the things that I've learned just in my own journey with ambition is that there are, are places in my heart that can only be reached by an unsatisfied desire, you know, f- for me to have something <laughs> that I'm, I'm longing for, desiring and, and ambitious for and have it not be satisfied or, or substantially delayed in being satisfied. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that can be... Yeah. That could be church planters who aren't progressing in the way that they think they should be, or, or parents with teenage kids that are not, not the pe- teenage kids are going prodigal or, you know, going in a direction they never would have thought or hoped or dreamed or prayed for, uh, or what ministry looks like in, in a pandemic. You know, we, we have this dream of how ministry or how life is going to happen that doesn't materialize. And, and, and there are times where the, the only way we truly get the gospel is by the experience of the denial of a dream yeah, or yeah. the delay of a dream or even the failure of, of a dream. Because what, it, because what it does, Clint, is that it, it converts our metrics it it yeah. toys with our metrics and moves it from some of the cultural definitions 
over to a yeah. biblical vision of of success. Yeah, that's that's so helpful. I even in my own story, I've never noted noted that that God used that for fruitfulness in my life. Um, I mean, I think I know that now that you say it, it's obvious, but I never, I never thought of it. I was very much looking for external fruit. Um, uh, Dave, super, super helpful conversation. Um, we're going to actually have a, a part two to this conversation. And so uh, uh, we're going to talk about a related issue, but not, not exactly the same. So tune in next week for the, uh, the second half of this. But Dave, I really appreciate you being here with us. And thanks so much for talking to me about this. Thanks for inviting me, Clint. Hey, I want to recommend a great book to you. It's called The Honest Guide to Church Planting. It's by a guy named Tom Bernardo. And uh, this book I, I saw, you know, over and over on the internet as I would uh, order books for, for various things I was doing in church planting. Every time I'd search the word church planting, it'd come up. And I just, I just never took the time to read it or get to know it. I didn't know Tom and didn't have any connection to it. Uh, but I tell you what, I finally got a little margin in my life during COVID. I ordered the book. And I started reading it. I couldn't put it down. It's so refreshing. It's a different kind of church planting book than any book I'd ever read. It's called An Honest Guide to Church Planting because it's essentially what Tom's trying to do here is just tell us what it's really like to plant a church. So it's a candid conversation about the challenges and joys in church planting. And Tom um, speaks the truth uh, that, that everybody involved in church planting can embrace uh, a more accurate and realistic picture of what it what it would be like to really set out and start a church and lead that church to survive and thrive in the work in the future. So I want to encourage you to check out Tom Bernardo's book, The Honest Guide to Church Planting. You can find it on Amazon or anywhere books are sold. The Honest Guide to Church Planting by Tom Bernardo. Thank you for listening to the Church Planning Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Today's episode of the Church Planting Podcast is sponsored by New City Network, the church planting ministry of McLean Bible. A special thanks to today's guest, Josh Taransky produced today's show. Nick Bashain was our editor. Thanks to Hudson Taransky who provided administrative and web support for the program. And last... But not least, thanks to you for listening all the way through to the very end of the Church Planting Podcast. If you'd like more information about our show, feel free to visit our website at www.churchplantingpodcast.org. There you can find all of our past episodes, as well as notes and links from today's show. We are also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, so be sure to check us out on the social. And tune in next week for another episode of the Church Planting Podcast.